I'm Stephen Adams. This is down to Doug. I'm, I'm miffed and peeved. That's not the words. What do I say? Hello, I'm Alex Sabrinas. I'm not miffed and peeved. I'm about to dunk. I'm not miffed and peeved. Hello, I'm Alex Sabrinas. I'm not miffed and peeved. I'm down to dunk. I'm Stephen Adams. I'm not miffed and peeved. I am down to dunk. Yo, this is PG and I'm down to dunk. Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schleich. We're part of CLNS Media, DailyThunder.com, and featured on Dash Radio at 5 o'clock Central Standard Time. With me today is Fred Katz from The Athletic in D.C. Fred, welcome back to Down to Dunk. No one has said that name with such an exciting intonation. <laughs> I am so, honestly. In a long time. I, I miss you a lot, and I missed you all season, and I'm just really glad to hear your voice, to be honest. Well, I miss you, I miss you too. I miss all you guys. That's <laughs> uh, what I'm supposed to say, right? That's what you're supposed to say. Whatever. Yeah. If you feel it or not, it doesn't matter. You have to say it or else you'll crush me. Um, exactly. Like that's what DeMar DeRozan is telling Kyle Lowry right now. <laughs> no I miss kidding. you, sir. I really want Kyle Lowry saying, <laughs> DeMar, I miss you, sir. DeMar's screaming how much he misses him. Kyle's like, yeah, yeah, I miss you too, man. I miss you too, dude. <laughs> this is – it's so much worse not having you here. This right. is so rough. Yeah, it's it, – that is – it's crazy. All the heartbreak that that Toronto city has gone through watching their Raptors and now they're in the NBA finals. It's just unbelievable. One of my favorite NBA cities. I what's, don't know if it's in the top five. It's I was going to say. It's got a very good case for the top five. It's got a very good case. What's your top three? Um, well, so are we talking like places I would want to live or places I enjoy visiting for a two-day road trip? Because those are very different things. Like New Orleans is insanely – like New Orleans is in the top three – where I want to visit, but it's like bottom half for where I want to live. Mm-hmm. Talking visit. Visit. So New Orleans will eliminate New York because like that's my hometown. So obviously that's the obvious number one. Mm-hmm. Um, I love L.A. Uh, so L.A., New Orleans, and if it's the very beginning of the season or the very end of the season because of the weather, I'll say Chicago. Okay. But if it's like a winter trip to – or if it's like a winter trip to Chicago – then I'm going to bounce Chicago and I'm going to say like Miami. Okay. How much of this is food based? All of it. Okay. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always food based. Why do you think I do New Orleans? So I do New Orleans with food the way that spring breakers do it on like Bourbon Street. I never go out on Bourbon Street. I never go out on Frenchman Street. I just eat like a maniac. I, I, I last year when I was in New Orleans, I, I went to this place called Cake Cafe, which is this hole-in-the-wall spot. It has the best sandwich I've ever had in my life, and I've been there twice. And it's this crab, brie, spinach, bacon sandwich on toasted, like, buttered challah bread, and it's insane. <laughs> and and I, I left from Cake Cafe. It's like a huge, huge meaty sandwich, and it's unreal. And I left from Cake Cafe and took an Uber to St. James Cheese Factory. Where I then got a, a Gruyere caramelized onion grilled cheese <laughs> on on also phenomenal bread, and I just I just had those back to back. About two hours later, I went to a place called Koshan the Butcher and had another meat type of deal. It was uh, it was a great day. That's amazing. It was, it was a really good day. You have the meat Pretty- sweats by that time. 
No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm like when I'm when I'm there, I don't get the meat sweats. Like I'm just in the zone. <laughs> like I'm just I'm just good to go. That's like asking like LeBron if by the time he was in his eighth finals, he was nervous in game four. You know, <laughs> just no. Are you kidding yeah. me? Oh, that's awesome. Uh, let's talk about the Thunder a little bit. So you didn't cover the Thunder this year, and I was just kind of curious from afar. Like one, like what did you think of this team? And then I want to hear like what do you think this team needs to do to get better next year? But let's first like what was your view of the Thunder from afar? They were super weird. Yeah. Like just a really really weird split personality team. Uh it kind of felt like the whole time when I watched them during the, the struggles over the last 25, 30 games, whatever it was, and the defense went from like most dangerous in the league to just falling off, all I was thinking was, you know, I mean, the obvious thing is they really need shooting. Like, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Welcome to every Thunder season since they've been in existence. But all I was thinking was, God, this team needs Andre Robertson. Yeah. Like, they just needed Andre Robertson. If they had Andre Robertson, I don't think the de- the defense thing happens, or at least it doesn't happen to that degree. He just takes off so much pressure from everybody on the floor if he's playing at the level that he was before. I mean, before he got hurt, I thought he was the leader for defensive player of the year that year. Mm-hmm. And so if he's defending at that level and you have – I mean, him and Paul George wouldn't just be the best defensive win combination in the league that is an argument for literally the number one and two best perimeter defenders in the league. Like if you yeah. ranked out the best perimeter defenders in the league, you could have a smart person put Andre Robertson and Paul George one and two on that list. So it's like that's like an all-time defensive uh, wing combination. And then obviously you have Adams in the back there. And I thought Ferguson's play fell off. And it, just the the main thing that I, when I watched them was like, man, I know he's going to be a liability in the playoffs. Like I know it. And I'm not even saying they would have won that series against Portland if they had him, even though it would have been nice to have, have him against those two guards who were both so good in that series. But like just during the regular season, when they had that fall off, I was like, man, I feel like they would have been the three or the, you know, if they just had, if they just had Dre, mm-hmm. maybe the two. Yeah. And the thing that you're doing is you're replacing Raymond Felton with Andre Robertson. I'm like, yeah, that's that's kind of an upgrade there. Yeah, you know, you know what was so weird that Raymond Felton just like pretty much wasn't in the rotation all year, and then he's just playing important minutes against Portland. What was it? What did Billy say about that? Why did Billy say that? It was going to be him or Nader, you know. And so, I think that he just tr- he trusted the experience of Felton and. Basically, anybody that they played at that spot was going to get killed. And it was going to be Nader, or they didn't really give Deontay Burton enough playing time to play him in the playoffs. I just didn't think that was going to happen. Uh, of course, you bring up Deontay Burton in this conversation. <laughs> I mean, we're, so, we're, we're so down to the nitty gritty. <laughs> so, so on brand. <laughs> well, I mean, when you lose Alex, you lose Dre for the whole season. Like, you're playing guys you did not expect to play, you know? And they didn't get any of the buyout guys that they really wanted. <laughs> they, they got your guy, Markeith, who you, you told me basically from the start, like, ah, I don't know how good this is for the Thunder. Yeah, I mean, they, Sam Sam should have called me. He really I was like, should I got have. this. Bring, 
Brett Dawson reached out to me when they signed Markeef and asked me to give a uh, like he did like a Q and A with me. He he fed me some questions. I gave him some answers, and I was like, eh. Wizards were like minus minus whatever it was. I forget the exact number. Minus eight per hundred possessions with Markeef on the floor. Mm-hmm. Defensive stuff was not there. He showed up. I you know people there were telling me that they didn't think he was in the best shape. When he gains weight, he gains weight in his behind mm-hmm. and. And they were they were kind of telling, telling that like they, he had to shed some weight and it was showing there. Um, and his his pick and roll defense was just kind of like not there. And and I think part of it at the time I was like, well, you know, I'm not really sure because the Wizards are just like if you're not going to be motivated, the Wizards provide a wonderful situation to not be motivated. Mm-hmm. And John Wall, this is not a thing that you pick up unless you watch every single Wizards game. John Wall at the beginning of the year called so like conventional pick and roll coverage is you've got your 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 guard or your ball handler or whatever waiting for another guy to come over and screen for him right mm-hmm. then you've got the screener defending uh, the the defend the guy defending the screener is defending the back of it and whoever defending guard is defending the front of it mm-hmm. and. The guy defending the back of it, the guy, the screener's defender, is the one who's calling out the signals, right? Yep. Like he's the one who is calling out, you know, whether they're trap or they're showing or, you know, if there needs to be a last second switch or whatever. And the coverage that they played with Markeith is they would just drop Markeith. And that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And John Wall, and he didn't do this for Markeith, he did with Anaheim. John Wall called more switches as the front end of a pick and roll guy than any NBA player I've ever seen in my entire life. Someone would just walk close to him as if they – and so so offenses started just walking close to him as if they were going to screen. And then Wall would just be like switch and the back end would be like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> Not know what to do. Like there's no way he could have said switch. And <laughs> – and it would just throw everything off. It's like Marquis like, I'm not supposed to switch and no one's even setting a screen. And so like it was hard. It was hard to judge his defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like then it, it carried over and, and just kind of his lack of energy showed no KC. And judging by Marcus's comments after the year, he didn't sound too thrilled about his time there. It just fit didn't really work. It did not work. He was he's like a he's a tweener. He's like a four or five tweener and everybody's like, Oh, being a tweener is awesome. Like he's a he's a bad tweener and No, you era. know what's funny though? You know what's funny about tweeners? Tweeners like seven years ago, maybe not even seven years ago, like five years ago, tweeners were like, is he a wing or is he a big, right? right. Like is he, a, is he a three or a four? Mm-hmm. Now those are the tweeners you want. Now the tweeners you don't want are four or five, which yep. is a thing that didn't really exist. Because the now the four and the three are more similar than the four and the five. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, the four and the five were more similar than the three and the four. Yep. But like, man, Draymond fell not just because Draymond was overweight, but because Draymond was a tweener. Isn't that crazy to it think is. about? Draymond yep. fell because he's versatile. Now we've just like relitigated that <laughs> that entire conversation because like we changed the definition of tweener to versatile. Right. We just totally uh, we changed our perspective on that completely as a basketball community with the way the game has changed. It is crazy. It's it's funny. I was watching Tracy McGrady highlights on his birthday, and the thing that stuck out to me was not the play of Tracy McGrady. It was that they were playing Yao Ming and Chuck Hayes together. I was like, oh my, <laughs> wow! Like, <laughs> there's no way anybody could do that today. No way. That's like, man. I I when the Clippers had that huge comeback against um, 
Clippers State. had that huge comeback against Golden State, right? Yeah, yeah. I went back and because I grew up a Clippers fan, and I was like, oh, man, I remember in college the first year with Chris Paul, I was so pumped. The first playoff game of the Chris Paul Clippers era. It's so funny. This was the first playoff game of the of the Chris Paul Clippers era. And like that, those teams had the reputation of choking, right? Like always blew series leads. They they blew the 16-point lead to Houston uh, in the Western Conference semis in 2015. But this game, 2012, the first game they played, they had the largest fourth quarter playoff comeback in NBA history. They were down 27 in the fourth quarter, and they came back and they won with like Nick Young threes. <laughs> and like that, yeah. they did it. They did it with Reggie Evans <laughs> like playing the – four and like and hitting a game-winning bucket his only points and i'm like they, why are they running a chris paul ready evans pick and roll what, what is it was the sport i'm watching like that was just 2012 like mm-hmm. uh, it, the game has changed so much like reggie evans was out of the league a couple years after that and he was an unbelievable rebounder but it's like the imagine him playing in the league nowadays like, is there anyone even close to, like, Reggie Evans in the league now? Chuck no. Hayes? Like, those guys are very similar players. No. If you're if you're big and you're not just an elite rim protector, like, all those guys did, like, they rebounded. Like, they're just great rebounders. And, like, if you can't do anything else, I'm sorry. Like, you're just not in the NBA. Like, I can't even think of anybody that's, like, their only skill is they're an elite rebounder. Like, who is that? Does that person exist? Like all the bigs, all the bigs are too skilled these days. Yeah, that's a good question. Either only a good, usually if your skill is that you're a great rebounder, you're you're usually a really good rim diver on the other end. Yeah. So it's like you know you're a really good rebounder, like uh, you're you're DeAndre Jordan or something like that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Who's like, like a yeah. ground bound, only good rebounding forward? I mean, Zach Randolph might be the last one, but Zach Randolph obviously was so skilled, skilled offensively, yeah. right? He would still play, um, yeah. but like, but like Sacramento Zach Randolph, like two years yeah. ago, Zach Randolph, where like he was horribly inefficient and thirty six years old or whatever, but he could still rebound the hell out of the ball. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, maybe that's. It's also that like big men have to cover so much ground nowadays. Oh yeah, let's cover so much more ground. Like Reggie Evans wasn't, and, and Reggie Evans was a four. <laughs> he he never played the five. He was a four. Oh, I'm convinced he wouldn't be. He wouldn't make the league today. Yeah, he might not. Which he is kind of crazy to think about because he played for a long time. Anyways, but for a long time, and was like a really helpful bench player for a lot of his career. He was. Yeah. Uh, awesome guy. Crazy life. Unbelievable life. He was a. He was a drug dealer growing up and now like and like totally changed his life and is now like one of the most philanthropic people in like the history of the town that he's from in Florida. Amazing dude. That's awesome. I didn't yeah, have any idea. Oh, he's the man. That's so cool. Uh so the Thunder back to the Thunder. I knew like when when Fred and I talk, like we'll just go on tangents. So we'll talk about something and we'll end up talking about Reggie Evans being a child. Reggie Evans' childhood. So what do you think the Thunder needs to do next season to be better? Like to, to get out of the first round, the Thunder need to do what? They need, they, they need shooting. I mean, I, I, they need shooting somehow mm-hmm. they need to do that. And like they need incremental improvements from Ferguson and I think I think the big improvement thing for him is 
actually being able to hit at a volume. And maybe he's there and we just haven't had the opportunity to see it. But like what's funny is I think part of the reason that the Thunder don't go out and get all this shooting is because a lot of it isn't actually going to be actualized. Because when Russ and PG are on the floor, that's 60% of your usage right there with just two guys. Mm -hmm. And then you factor in Adams and it's like, okay, the last two guys are sharing 20 20 to 25% of the usage. I mean that's just so small that you might as well spend that money in in other trades. But like I think Russ did a much better job sharing this year and I think that was very well documented. That being said – Part of the issue with the spacing for them is not just accuracy, and I know they were low in three-point percentage, but like a guy like Terrence Ferguson, people still help off of him a decent amount. Mm -hmm. Like people still will help off of Grant a decent amount, even though there was never really a point this year where he didn't hit his threes. If you get those guys an opportunity to have volume on their threes and they're still hitting only just like – you don't have to be hitting him at forty percent. Like what did what did Grant shoot this year? He shot 30 almost thirty nine percent. Yeah, he yeah, thirty nine. Yeah, and like four times a game, which is which is good. And I think part of it is his part of it is obviously his rep that players are 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 usually a year or two slow to adapt on that kind of stuff when a guy can shoot. And part of it is also that his while his form is so much better, it's still kind of ugly. And if you have like a pretty, I'm a full believer that if you have a pretty jump shot but you miss a lot then guys are going to guard you a lot more than if you have an ugly jump shot and and you make a lot. Like people will help off of Malcolm Brogdon even though he makes a ton of threes because Malcolm Brogdon looks like he's shooting while he's like while he's like, you know like those huge hiking backpacks. Mm-hmm. Like Malcolm Brogdon looks like he's wearing one of those when he shoots. Yeah. yeah. Like and so like people every once in a while defenders will help off him. It's like what are you doing? He's he's good. <laughs> Like, but I, I, I really think, and then you see like guys where it just like looks good. Like then you're watching the Bucks, and it's like, well, guys aren't helping off of Pat Connaughton, even though mm-hmm. he's a much worse shooter. Uh, it looks good, and so like, I think if you get those vol, those guys volume up, you find a way to where those guys are shooting, and you have defenders in their mind being like, oh, I've been burned by him before. Like that's just like a small tweak mm-hmm. where it's going to help. It's not going to pull up the team percentage all that. Or maybe it will pull up the team percentage because maybe Russell's not taking those threes. But it's not going to make a ginormous difference in terms of the numbers or any of that kind of stuff. But I think it will start to make a difference over the long term of how those units are guarded when they're out there. You know, like, does that make sense? Like, I feel like that's a realistic, small tweak that you can make, which can really change things. Yeah, I I think that would be a huge thing. Um, I think Terrence needs to take some sort of leap for that to happen. And if not, I think they really need to consider going after a veteran wing that could start next in the and like Wes Matthews is a guy that, you know, we can talk about him because Sam Presti talked about him in his end of season press conference uh, as a guy that he really wanted. And I think that, I think that you could offer him the starting position and I th- people will guard Wes Matthews. Like he's a guy that, people know and respect and you can develop Terrence and even get him more shots if he's coming off the bench and he's playing with Schroeder uh, and not with Russell. So I think that something like that is also kind of a a realistic change for the Thunder. Maybe not, maybe it's not Wes Matthews, but something like that where you can get some, some kind of respected shooter in there with Russell. Um, 
Oh, I wanted to ask you this question. I don't know what you Yeah, think about yeah. It. I mean, they they could use a person who could shoot. Yes. That's the I just I, I didn't want to any, go that up. Any person. Obviously, it would help their shooting if they got a person who would shoot. That's that's a good point. Do, do you think that in today's NBA, you can have a point guard that's not a good shooter and a center that doesn't shoot and have a good offense? A good offense? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you define good offense? Uh, okay. How about a top 12 offense? Yes. I think you can have a top 12 offense. I think the issue arises more in a playoff series. Okay. Do you think you can, so I, do you think you can make a deep playoff run if you have a point guard that's inefficient like Russ with a non-shooting center like Steven Adams? Probably not. Okay. Probably not. Uh, I say that as someone who literally picked the Thunder to beat Portland and then beat Denver before the playoffs start. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, you have to get really lucky. Or you just need Paul George to be a monster at that point. Yeah, yeah. or Russell has to get hot in the playoffs mm-hmm. and like hit 35% of his threes. But the problem, like the problem, as I think everybody should have seen during that Portland series, wasn't that he doesn't hit his shots. Yeah. It's like no one respects his jump shot. And like the crazy Russell Westbrook thing to me this season, the absolutely bonkers Russell Westbrook thing is everyone talks about how confident he is. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if he does or doesn't because he he wouldn't tell me if I asked, but he looks like he has the yips. Like the dude who is the most confident player in the league, like he plays like if he had the yips, this is how he would play, you know? With the with at times just not wanting to to he misses a few layups and all of a sudden he's not going to the rim. The free throw stuff is super, super weird. Um he's he's let that stuff affect him this year. And I voted for him for all league. Like I thought he had, aside from the shooting, he had a really good year and the shooting got better throughout the year. It was really, really bad at the start of the year. But like it used to be we you know we we always joked on like dream team about like now nah, I'm gonna play I'm gonna play the way that I play or whatever his quote was for the day you know mm-hmm. um, those cliches that he would throw out there um, but the funny thing is like that actually is true like he is going to play the same way every night in in, in the sense that he's just gonna kind of do what he wants to do and he's not gonna let the defense uh, and the way he's being guarded and all those things affect it. It's like if he wants to go at the rim, then that's what he's going to do. He's going to go at the rim. And if he wants to take seven threes, that's what he's going to do. He's going to take seven threes. And I just thought there were moments this year where I watch him and it's like – and I'm not around him like I used to. Uh, where I watch him, it's like it's not it's not quite like it, it yeah. was in the past. And it's obviously recoverable, but it was just weird to see. the Like the most confident dude I've ever met in my life just not – just throwing himself at people's throats like I've seen him do for 10 years. I th- I think that people not guarding him made him extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I just don't I mean for I mean his MVP season like you're there everything is centered around knowing where Russell Westbrook is and what he's doing. And then it switched this season with almost everybody toward the end of the season with well let Russell Russell do Russell do it. He'll do it. He's and that's I'm sure that has got to be the weirdest feeling. Like all yeah. of a sudden, like you have ten feet of space all the way around you, and like well, he's probably like, what do I do with this? I guess I shoot it, but I know they want me to. 
But I should, I mean, there's got to be some kind of conversation in his head going on like that. And maybe there's not, but there's got to be a little bit of doubt when you're shooting the basketball. And this is probably the same thing for for Dre um, when he's standing there in the corner and literally the, the entire team is on the other half of the court. It's like you catch it and you're like, I know my teammates want me to shoot it, but I also know the other team wants me to shoot it. It's like, what? it's probably just a strange feeling for a pro basketball player. Yeah. I mean, it was really weird to watch him in the Portland series and see him get like what we conventionally refer to as the Tony Allen treatment. Mm-hmm. Weird. Yeah. Just really, it, it was really weird. I mean, he's never been a great three-point shooter. He's never been a good three-point shooter. But like I said, like that that often doesn't have that much to do with spacing. Like I remember, uh, I think it's Second Spectrum who has this stat, like has an actual gravity stat. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tom Haberstroh a couple of years ago acquired some of them and put out some of them in a, in a story. And one of the gravity, like who led the league in gravity and somehow measures like how close. I don't I don't remember exactly how it's measured. Like it's got it's got something to do with, you know, how close your defender is when you shoot. And this was a few years ago. But the guy who led the league in gravity was Dwayne Wade. Yeah. And, like, the reason why is because he's Dwayne Wade. Yep. Like, Russell Westbrook would have guys – I mean, yeah, defenses would go under pick and rolls against him. But that was because that was scheme, not habit, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that was that was not people reacting in the moment. That was just like, okay, I've prepared for this. We went through it at shoot-around. Coach says we're going to go under screens today, so that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And that's what they would do. But in a moment when you have to close in off of him to help off of a guy and it gets kicked back out, you are ru- – like defenders are rushing back out to him. And now they're like, oh, no, no it's just Russ. Yeah. And that – that that is – he got the Andre Robertson treatment. Like yeah. that was – like like not even – like no one even bothering to go to him and using his man like as a rover at times. Like that that was crazy. That was just mm-hmm. really, really weird to watch in that series. Yeah. In the half court, he gets that treatment. In the open court, he still has tremendous gravity. And you saw that at the end of that last game against the Rockets in the regular season. Whenever the Thunder had that just broken play, they didn't call a timeout. They rushed the ball down the court, and three Rockets players just go right to Russell, leaving Paul George wide open in the corner. And, like, Russell still has that gravity there, but if if they're playing fast, but if they're in the half court, when you have all, you have basically you've got Russ, who's basically a non-threat to shoot from three. You have Steven, who's not going to do it. And then you have Terrence. You're like, yeah, well, if Terrence Ferguson beats us, that's that's fine. Uh, and you have Jeremy, who's probably the, the same way. And you just have Paul George. I think it's just tough, and I don't think the Thunder will or want to trade Stephen Adams. I don't know if they really can get what they want um, out of him in a trade, but I just think that. It it might make sense if you're trying to make like a two year push to go get a big that can really shoot it. I wonder. I mean, I've said we've talked about before that like at some point, I I always believed that at some point Stephen was going to just like show up and start shooting threes, and the entire fan base was going to be like, "Wait, what? Yeah, what just what just happened here?" I. I'm not saying it's going to happen next year. I have no idea. He's 25 years old. But I, I, I believe that at some point Stephen Adams will show up and start shooting threes. He is a very analytical mind. 
He understands the analytics of it all. I think he could take mid-range shots. He doesn't want to take mid-range shots. He has no interest in taking mid-range shots. I know his free throw percentage does not correlate to someone who would be able to make threes. I've never really understood why he's as poor of a free throw shooter as he is. Uh, he, he just doesn't seem – the form's not that bad. It's pretty no. repeatable. He, he doesn't seem like a dude who psychs himself out. I just – I've never really understood why he's like in the high 50s. Uh, I think he kind of uh, does psych himself out because you watch him pre-game. He's like making everything for mid-range. Yeah. Maybe he gets more tired than he lets on. Like maybe he's yeah. just – maybe when he's just boxing out 900 times a game, his arms get tired. And he has to use them for something else, and it's just like, and that, and that's a reason why. Like I've never tracked it. If that's the case, his free throws would probably be short more often than he misses long. If there's a thunder nerd out there, watch all of Steven's free throws, see if he misses short more often than he's long, and then you can try to verify that theory. <laughs> McKellar could do that. <laughs> yes, that's a McKellar project. Oh man, yeah, that would be awesome. I just I just worry that if he starts shooting threes, now the Thunder have three guys that shoot threes that nobody has to worry about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, will, like, will Steven Adams have any gravity whatsoever if he starts shooting threes, if he takes, like, one three a game? Like, I think yeah, I mean, look, just, like, who I mean, cares? That's, that's, that's what people said about Brooke Lopez three years ago. That's true. Yeah. You know, that's what people said about Marcus Gasol. That's what people said about Serge Ibaka when Serge Ibaka started taking threes. Mm-hmm. That was a long time ago. Remember the criticism with Serge Ibaka? Oh, why won't he? Why is he taking threes? He should be around the rim. It's like, no, no, no. These are just these just used to be mid-range shots. You're talking local radio right there. I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it in your voice. I'm just bashing John Hamm whenever I just... get a chance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I can't have you on this show and not talk about a Bradley Beal trade. Is there any trade whatsoever that would make sense for the Wizards from the Thunder to get Bradley Beal in an OKC uniform? Thunder fans are so obsessed with this. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. No. Bradley Beal's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Bradley, Beal's, Bradley Beal's phenomenal. I voted for him for all league. He's a great player. Mm-hmm. And he would work awesome there. Um, he would. He's like the perfect shooting guard for Russ because ideally I kind of think – his offensive mold. I think he's kind of the guard version of Paul George offensively. Mm-hmm. He's he he run pick and roll, and he's he's very good at it, and he can isolate, and he's very good at it. He's got a six step back jumper, jumper, and he's great from three, and all those things. But ideally, he's kind of your secondary guy with the ball, and then you just have him. He's so good running off screens and those curls that he does, and uh, he's like. He's like really obsessively a make the right play guy, mm-hmm. like really obsessively a make the right play guy. Um, you know, at the end of the year, the Thunder, the uh, the Wizards would run all. They played a number of close games, and Scott Brooks would call these ATOs, which pretty much every single one of them was just high pick and roll for Brad because there was nobody else on the team who could make a play, and so high pick and roll for Brad. And guys are going to trap the defense is going to trap Brad, and then Brad is just going to pass to whoever the hell is open. And Brad made the right play every single time. And after every one, there was some local media member who was like, "Don't you want to take the last shot, Brad?" Brad and Brad just looked at him like he was an idiot. And I was like, "No, I'm going to make the right basketball play." It's like, would, would you have taken that shot out of the double team, or would you have passed to wide open 
Thomas Bryan, who's a good shooter for a three, or pass to wide open Thomas Sadoransky, who's a good catch and shoot shooter for a three, or found Thomas Bryan for an open dunk or whatever it is. And like he did all these things and he just kind of is very obsessive about always making the right basketball play. And that just kind of fits in well mm-hmm. anywhere, honestly. Um, I'm looking at what's the Thunder's draft pick situation again? They have their pick. You can, they can't trade it until it conveys, though. So you could oh. trade it on draft night. 21st pick. Right. That's. I mean, that's not close to enough. 21st pick in this draft? Not even close to enough. And no. Adams doesn't do anything for them because if you trade Beal, you're starting over. You want, mm-hmm. you want young players and draft picks. You want yeah. a package from the Lakers, from Boston, uh, from – who's got young players and draft picks? Oh. Players, teams with young players and draft picks. Maybe uh, maybe Indiana. Mm-hmm. Do something around Sabonis or Miles Turner or both. I don't know. Um, what if the Thunder take on Dwight Howard? Eh. Would, does that swing? Does that swing the argument? No, for he's you? he's one year and five million. Like I think. I'm just kidding. I'm just. Oh. <laughs> God, we're at the point with Dwight where it's like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a weird wizard season! Oh God, you said the Thunder were weird. Like that is a the wizard weird, stuff. Weird season. The wizard stuff was so weird. <laughs> the whole thing. With the practices of them blowing up at each other and and the Ernie stuff at the end of the year and what else? What other weird stuff happened? I get every they single acquired thing Jabari that, Parker. Yeah, every <laughs> single thing that Austin Rivers said during his time. Oh yeah, that was great. So Austin Austin Rivers is just like God. He's just he he is a he is a quote machine, and I'm I'm a big believer. And if any of the listeners here ever read my stuff and I was at the Norman transcript, probably maybe you don't know this outright, but you probably wouldn't be surprised to hear. I'm a big believer that like I don't really care who says the quote. Like I don't care if the quote comes from Raymond Felton or Russell Westbrook. If it's the great quote, that's like that's what I'm going to use because I'm just like I I like I like when people say like smart things or clever things or funny things or analytical things or whatever they might be, you know? And so like, that's just what I'm going to use. And so like if the star player gives me a cliche and someone else gives me something that's going to make somebody smile or think or whatever, like that's what I'm going to use. And Austin is, is the most profane person I've ever met. (laughs) And, (laughs) and just, just didn't, uh, hold back on anything. And so when he got traded in December, because from a personality standpoint, it just didn't work either way there. Like they were not in love with him and he was not in love with them. Uh, when, when Austin got traded, like Candace Buckner, who's the wizards beat reporter for the Washington post and said, no one's covering the biggest story on this. And I said, what? I said, who is going to lead off every single one of the athletics wizard stories now? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I probably laid more stories with quotes from the ninth guy than any other beat reporter in NBA history. So he gave you some great stuff, though, man. Killer. I mean, he's the only person who can turn a story into refusing to take mid-range shots into like a fun story. (laughs) Like, oh, I've got a good Bradley Beal trade for you. Okay, let's hear it. Gary Harris, uh, Malik Beasley, 
And shout out to Dunk Don, Wancho Hernan Gomez. Yeah. Bradley Beal. Sure. That makes sense. That could make a little bit of sense. If you're Denver, like you have Jamal Murray, Bradley Beal, Nikola Jokic, like give me a break. That would that would be a great big three. People forget how unbelievably young Bradley Beal is because he's been around forever. Bradley yeah. Beal is younger than Buddy Heald. Right. <laughs> like Bradley Beal, people are like, oh, Pascal Siakam, such a great young up-and-comer. Bradley Beal is the same age as Pascal Siakam. Mm-hmm. Bradley Beal's 25. Like he's he's in his prime, but he's in like year one of his prime. Yep. Like he's probably got three more years of getting better. Even though shout out to Dunk Don, he's they probably think he's going to be aged out by next year. <laughs> he's, he's he's nearing the supermax age, and that he just they're basically expired basically by that time. Yeah, <laughs> expired basketball players. No, uh, Fred, love, we're going to let I you really go. Enjoy giving Nate crap. It's right. really one, become one of my favorite hobbies. <laughs> it's great. I hey, love you, Nate. Uh, we got to. We got to give a shout out to Aladdin real quick. And I want to know your take on the genie because there's some hot takes online about the genie, about Will Smith genie. And I want to know your thoughts and then I'll let you go watch Aladdin. I am reserving my thoughts until I'm seeing it in 35 minutes. I'm reserving my thoughts until after I see it. Aladdin was my Thank favorite you. childhood movie. And I have to admit, Will Smith is in an impossible position because mm-hmm. no one no one can do what Robin Williams does. Mm-hmm. So like what do you, you, like you can't you can't replicate it. So you, I, I guess you just kind of have to figure out a way to do it. But like is what's a, what's another I mean it's like being someone who who comes into like I'm trying to think of what like a sports analogy would be. I guess it's like, you know, like Derek Jeter retires and they have to bring in another shortstop. It's like, well, mm-hmm. that guy's not going to be Derek Jeter, although it ended up being Didi Gregorius, who's every Yankee fan's favorite player. So that's a terrible example. It'd be but, like whoever has to replace the point guard duties for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, exactly. It's like he's not going to be Russ. Like that. that is uh, – uh, what's he supposed to do? Yeah. You know, that, that, that person could be Kyle Lowry and it, it's just not going to be the same. You know, so like that's it's just an impossible position for Will Smith. So I I, I, that's just like that's got to be such a horrible position for any actor to be in. Like I I would turn that down. I just wouldn't even take that. (laughs) Yeah, People have made fun of it since the moment it was announced. I'm like, I don't know, like Will Smith. Pretty awesome in just about everything he's done. Will Smith's a really good actor (laughs) and he's super likable. But like who who can do Robin Williams? Like the only person who I can think maybe maybe would be Jim Carrey. Yeah, but that would be even that that I would I personally would make fun of because there's been some there's been some stinkers from from Jim Carrey along the yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah, but Jim Carrey like prime Jim Carrey could he didn't do things the way that Robin Williams did things. But yeah. but he could he could do so much of the genie was the impressions and he could yeah. He could pull that off. He could do those sorts of things. Maybe, maybe like because of the impression stuff, maybe Jamie Foxx could do it. Yeah, because uh, he's so talented, or like, or like uh, Donald Glover. Like, I'm trying to think of those like high and those. <laughs> Donald those Glover Genie would be pretty awesome. Well, I guess he's doing uh, he's doing Simba too, so he could just get all of that. Yeah, I'm right. trying to think of guys who can be high energy. Like Donald Glover doesn't always play high energy characters, but his stand up is super high energy. Yeah, I feel like Jamie Foxx could do it because I think Jamie Foxx might just be like 
most talented person in show business. But he's, he's awesome. But here's the thing: like Will Smith, pretty good choice. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fine with it for now. I'm I'm gonna see how he does in a half an hour, and we'll see. Okay, let me know. Let all the listeners know how you feel. I'll Fred, text thanks the for team, Fred. okay. Thanks for coming on the show. Follow you on Twitter at Fred Katz. Uh, read all his stuff at The Athletic. If you're not subscribed to The Athletic, I don't know what you're doing. Um, you need to do that. Fred, thanks for coming on. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Of course, this was fun.